Okay, today I want to start a brief two-week series called Attitude Adjustment. Let me put an image up here on the screen. This is the image of an attitude indicator. Uh, if you've ever been inside uh, an airplane cockpit, you know certainly it has an altitude indicator, uh, altimeter, but this is an attitude indicator. And the attitude of the airplane is what you call the position of the aircraft in relation to the horizon. And if you want to change the performance of the aircraft, you change the attitude of the aircraft. Let me put another image up here. There you see now this plane is in a nose high attitude. It's climbing. You want to change the performance of a plane, you change its attitude. Now you know where I'm going with this, don't you? You want to change the performance of a person. You change their mindset. You change their attitude. And gang, a positive, upbeat, godly, hopeful spirit goes a long way in beautifying your own soul. It goes a long way in encouraging other people and creating a positive atmosphere and environment. Um, you just don't want to be the kind of person who brightens a room by leaving. That's not who you want to be. You want to be the kind of person who brings an atmosphere into that family, into that group, into that room. And um, please don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we go through life wearing rose-colored glasses. God's people should not be naive. We should not be gullible. We should have a wise spirit of discernment. The Bible teaches us to hate that which is evil. The Bible tells us that if someone sins against you, you go to that person and, and point it out. Um, so we're not to be blind to evil. We're, never, we're not instructed to never say anything bad about a situation. But everyone, there's another side to this coin. Our daily personal attitude toward life should be primarily one of optimism and joy and goodwill. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do all things without complaining and arguing. And I will read a scripture here in just a moment that says, I want you to find the good and think on those things. I am asking you, to stop obsessing over every storm and begin to see the sunlight periodically. Accentuate the positive. And why don't we put a muffler a little bit on our voices of sarcasm and insult and more generously compliment virtue and effort. Again, I'm not, not saying that all criticism should be silenced. Growth comes about through correction. Strength comes when appropriate times of repentance. And wise is the person who can acknowledge mistakes pointed out by others and change their course of action. I am asking that we turn from perpetual negativism, negativism that so permeates our culture these days and speak of one another's virtues and not just their faults. Lean into some optimism instead of just pessimism. Let your faith exceed your fears. Remember, cynics do not.
contribute. And skeptics do not create anything healthy. Do you need an attitude adjustment? And if there was an attitude, an attitude indicator on your soul, what would it read today? And the great thing is, we can change the attitude. What is your attitude? It's a mindset. It's a way of looking at things. It's your mental and spiritual and emotional response to the circumstances around you. All right, I've got six, six uh, quick points. Number one, a good attitude is the active embracing of faith, hope, and love. That's what attitude is. You take the big three, the glorious trifecta, and again, not just faith, hope, and love on a shelf. Oh, I, I had faith 40 years ago. Four times in the Bible it says this, righteous people live by faith. And the active embracing of faith. You think, what faith, faith at its essence, we're saying, I know where I came from. I know in whom I believe. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Hope. What does hope do? It rejects that jaded, chronic negativity that just refuses to believe in good and the good of, of, of anyone and love. That sense of security. That God loves me and I have the privilege of spreading his love into the lives of other people, bringing out their best. I mean, my goodness, faith, hope, and love, what a spirit, what an attitude. Let me put these four statements up here on the screen. You embrace faith, hope, and love, I know God loves me. I know God wills good for me. I know God has a plan for me, and I know God will bring me through. Now, every time you look at a cross, you see a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. That vertical beam represents our relationship with God. The horizontal beam, our relationship with, other, with others. And Jesus reconciles us both to one another. There's no theological reason for people of different nationalities or ethnicities to be separate. We're reconciled to one another. And we're reconciled to God. But listen, everyone. It's that vertical beam that gives stability and a solid substance to the horizontal beam. It's the vertical piece that if it's not stable, if it's not secure, it doesn't provide stability for the horizontal piece. It'll wobble and it'll shake. What I'm saying is our attitude is rooted in to that vertical beam, our relationship with God first and foremost. And no matter what comes your way, even death itself, death cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Here's a second thing I want to say. A good attitude, it's one of your greatest assets. A good, a good attitude can take you places where you wouldn't go otherwise. It's like, a, it's like a booster rocket. Now, attitude isn't everything. Don't make it out to be more than it is. You still need competence. You still need skill to get things done. But all things being equal, a person of equal skills and equal competencies, that attitude will take you farther and higher. 
thirdly, a good attitude, it's chosen. It's not just given, it's chosen. Listen to this scripture from Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you ready? Think on these things. In other words, he's saying, this is not going to come by genetics. This isn't just body chemistry. You look for the noble and the beautiful, and you choose to think on these things. You allow your attitude to be shaped by this. Now, let me give a little caveat disclaimer here. If you find yourself under chronic ongoing depression or with anxiety issues, chronic anxiety, go see your doctor. Go see a therapist. So I'm not talking about that. But for many people, their negative attitude is a choice they've made to focus in that direction. Now, our attitudes are influenced by other people, by what we read and hear. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying an active mindset needs to be greater than a passive mindset. We take responsibility for our attitude. Our attitude will not just take care of itself. We look for the good, the beautiful, the noble, the true, the high, and we think on those things. We put on the glasses of faith, hope, and love. The passive mindset is defined by the assumption that life just sort of happens to you, and you're not responsible. But an active mindset takes, own, you know, you own your attitude. You own your choices. You own the process. You own what you can control. My friend Derek Avery says it like this, own your 20 square feet. You want to know what 20 square feet looks like? There it is. You own your, I can't control my circumstances. You know, if you still think you can control other people, you need to kiss that mindset goodbye. And if you really want to um, wear some people out, just say, you know, I'm not going to be impacted by your drama. Just not. You own your 20 square feet. You care about other people. You minister to them. You can't control them. But you can own your 20 square feet and seek to control your mindset and your attitude. And if you'll do that, It'll rub off, and it'll influence some others. Here's a fourth point. A good attitude shows up in down times. It shows up in down times. A good attitude shows up when you have negative feelings because you're not going to let your feelings and emotions drive the day. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that if you choose good actions, it'll actually feed better attitudes. It's like a circular thing. Good attitudes feed what? good actions, and good choices and actions then feed good, strong attitudes. And also at times when you have to 
face mundane details. Let's face it, not every day is thrilling. Not every day is a lot of fun. It's said if you like 70% of your job, that is fantastic, but 30% of your job is going to be tedious and difficult and mundane. And when you get married, so much of marriage is lived in the routine, right? You know, if I've ever done premarital counseling, I'll often ask a young couple, can you see yourself being happy and joyful on Home Depot days? You know, when you just got honeydew tasks around the job, uh, around the house, things we, gotta, we have to get done, and uh, we've just got to go to Home Depot and, and, and see what we can do. The mundane and the ordinary. That's when attitude shows up. And then in times of adversity. You see, attitude gives you no advantage during good times. Because during good times, everybody's got a wonderful attitude. When things are going my way, my attitude is fantastic. But it's when adversity comes and the challenges come, that's when my attitude becomes, and that's when your attitude becomes a true difference maker. Are you familiar with the name Viktor Frankl? Viktor Frankl was a deeply interesting man. He was a psychiatrist, a neurologist, a philosopher, a prolific author, and the founder of a school of therapy known as logotherapy, therapy through meaning. His worldview was shaped by the fact that he was a Holocaust survivor. From 1942 to 1945, he lived, or rather just existed, in four concentration camps, including the infamous Auschwitz. What he witnessed and experienced there left an indelible mark upon his life. He lost his family. When they first took him, they took his wedding ring, they shaved his head, he was separated from his family. Among his writings is a book that a lot of people will say should be in everybody's top five list. It's not a long book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Listen to this. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the people who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of human freedoms, which is to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Otherwise, what are we? You're just like a West Texas tumbleweed blown about but we are people who belong to God we are people of faith and hope and love we believe God loves us he wills good for us he will see us through and even death itself will not separate us from his love 
Very quickly, number five, a good attitude helps you reset from a setback. A good attitude helps you reset from a setback. And here's the thing, setbacks are inevitable. Everyone will have a setback. Every, setbacks are inevitable, but they are forgivable. Now, here's the bad news. You do know that you cannot rewrite history, don't you? You do, you do know that your life does not have a rewind button on it. But the good news is our God has the ability to take your worst mistakes in life and turn them actually into a pathway for something good. Mistakes are inevitable. Setbacks, they are inevitable, but they are forgivable, and God can use them. Now, these mistakes come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. You know, we've all been at dinner parties, and somebody will say, hey, why don't you uh, tell your, your, uh, one of your uh, more embarrassing moments? And, you know, we can all do that and chuckle. It was a silly mistake. We can laugh about it. But there are some mistakes, choices, setbacks that are monumental. And they may have some bitter consequences for a while. They're forgivable. God can use you. But they're significant. But whether or not you can walk through those setbacks with faith, hope, and love, um, I think of the Apostle Peter who failed Jesus at the time Jesus needed him the most. And yet, three days later, who was the first apostle to whom Jesus appeared? Peter. As if to say, you're mine. We can move forward into a new beginning. And six weeks later, it was Peter who stood on the southern steps of the temple and preached that inaugural message of the resurrection of Christ and the birth of a new and eternal kingdom. And I don't care what failure has occurred in your life. It doesn't have to have the final word or an ongoing word. God's willing to forgive, willing to use you again. It's what happened to Peter. It's what can happen to you. And it can only happen and it will happen because of God's amazing grace, this unleashing, this bursting forth of undeserved generosity and kindness from God. And if you can put on the lenses to see that, you can reset and rebound from a setback. You know, somebody says, uh, experience really is the best teacher, isn't it? No. No. <laughs> experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. 
when you evaluate and reflect upon your experience, now it's turned into insight. And here are a couple of things you need to do as you evaluate your experiences. One, identify the role that others played in your setback. You say, well, now, Ronnie, I, th I thought that uh, as, as a Christian, we shouldn't be into just blaming other people for my choice. I'm not saying you assign 100% of the blame. I am saying that when you ended up in that ditch or you had that setback, whether it was smaller or larger, more than likely you did not end up in that setback completely and totally on your own. And someone else played a part in it. And here's the thing. If you don't identify that and name it, you'll not forgive that person or those people. Because you can only forgive someone who actually bears part of the blame. But if you'll name that and acknowledge it, not saying you're assigning perpet In fact, what you're going to do, you're acknowledging it so that you might release that person and forgive. You can't forgive someone who doesn't shoulder part of the blame. But then also, you got to look right here, <laughs> right here, and say, you know, if, if, if my setback, you know, Grant was responsible for 99% of my setback, I got to own my 1%. What did I bring to the table? What can I learn here? But my friends, put on the lenses of faith, hope, and love. Have that attitude that God is for you. God forgives. God can use. There's a new tomorrow and a new beginning. Faith, hope, and love. And you can reset from a setback. And last of all, very, very quickly, a good attitude, it expresses gratitude. And it's an, important, it's an important reminder on this Thanksgiving week. Um, you do know what worship is, don't you? Worship is basically expressing Thanksgiving. Looking at God, looking to the Father, Son, and Spirit, saying, you know, you've been incredibly good to me, and I want to express my Thanksgiving to you. You know, Thanksgiving should be expressed. Somebody says, well, I grew up in a family that didn't really express. Well, you're in a new family now. You say, well, I had a, maybe a dysfunctional father. Well, that's okay. You've got a good new father who, who can help. And um, worship is all about expressing thanksgiving. Okay, here's a scripture from Luke 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy was a debilitating disease, withered away your body one digit at a time, one limb at a time. It was thought to be incredibly contagious, and so if you had it, you had to be separate. You know, if you had a family and you uh, contracted leprosy, now you're separate from your family. Uh, it was a, a terrible. You became a social outcast. And so here we have uh, 10 lepers. It's their own connection group, their own first family, their own group. And they call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, Jesus said, 
go show yourselves to the priests. Now, here's what. He didn't heal them and then say, go show yourselves to the priests. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. And the Bible says, what? And as they went, they were cleansed. And that's the principle all through the Scriptures. Remember in the Older Testament when God's people are going into the promised land? God said, I want the priest to lead the way. And I realize the Jordan River is at its flood stage. But I'm telling you, when that first priest puts his foot in the water, the river will part and you'll walk across on dry land. Now, we've all seen rivers at flood stage. We know the power of a flooding river. And had I been one of those priests, I would have said, Lord, why don't you just part the river first? Then I'll take a step of faith. Don't make me take a a step of faith before you act. But right here, Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. They could have looked at one another and said, well, we're not healed. Why should we go? But as they went, once they took a step of faith, God honors your faith. I can't predict what he will do, but I know that when you walk by faith and hope and love, good things happen. And so one of them came back, verse 15, when he saw he was healed. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner and then he said to him rise and go your faith has made you well he got another blessing all 10 received the blessing of leprosy cleansing but this one former leper got another blessing because he came back to worship by the way what you're doing today either online or right here It's an expression of thanksgiving. There are other places you could be. There are other things you could be doing. But when you choose to worship the Lord with his people, it's an act of thanksgiving. Now, let's just play a little imaginary game for a moment. Let's let's take that leper who had been cleansed and who came back to say thank you. Um, Fast forward. 20, 25, 30 years. So he's been cleansed. He gets reunited with his wife. Kids grow up. Now he's got grandkids. Things are going well. It's been 25, 30 years. But one day he's walking along. He sees Jesus again. Do you think it would be okay, even though it's been 25, 30 years, for that leper to walk up to Jesus again and say, thank you? Would that be okay? To praise him? To honor him? to express thanksgiving, to bow down in humility before him, even though it's been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, would it be okay to keep going back saying thank you to Jesus? Answer, yes. And everybody in this room, we've all got something to be grateful for. Our great God has done wonders in your life and mine. Here's what Satan wants to do. 
He wants to take your eyes off what God has done and is doing and has promised to do. But just like that leper was healed, we keep going back saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've never been cleansed of leprosy, but I've been healed of something far worse. My sin and the wages of sin are eternal death. But years ago, God saved me. among all miracles, has used me, and uh, he is worthy of my regular running back saying, in a loud voice or a soft voice, you are worthy of every ounce of praise, every sacrificed penny, you're worthy of it all. So, everybody... We've got lots to be thankful for this week, but most of all, let's give thanks for our wonderful Savior. Through his atoning death on the cross, Jesus has graciously provided for us the forgiveness of, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, and an ultimate purpose for living every single day. Now, Steve Williams is going to come up here and lead us in, in prayer, but before he does, I want to read a scripture that I read earlier, but this time I want to read it from a version called The Message. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. God bless you, everybody.